Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's ask God's blessing upon his word once more. Our Father, we have already asked for your blessing as our brother has led us in prayer. But we desire to confess before you that all of our hope is found in our Lord and Savior. As he has become our mediator, he has become our great high priest, and he has become the one who sheds the Holy Spirit abroad in our hearts. We need your grace. We need your Holy Spirit. We need the forgiveness of our sins. We dare not come to you in our own merits, by our own good deeds, but we come to you pleading for your grace and for you to open the word of God with grace and power upon our hearts. Teach us as our brother has prayed how to live before you and accomplish the good things you have promised to do for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just read verse 14, which is the verse that we will be concentrating on this morning as we continue our way through 1 Corinthians. There the Apostle Paul says in contrast to the fact that the Holy Spirit has been given to his people, given to the Apostle, to speak inspired words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So let me begin by asking you this question. Do you, how do you look at the Word of God? How do you receive the Word of God? Do you say, well, that's God's wisdom. That's to guide my life. Or do you say, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, this verse explains to us why there are such varied approaches to the word of God. That which perceives by the work of the Holy Spirit, receives and does, and that which holds off, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, may God minister to our hearts as we look at Paul's explanation for the natural man. Paul had been telling the church what great treasures are given to the apostles and thus to the church through the apostles. Yet, Paul tells us that the things which are given to the church for its glory are not received by the world. It is as if someone suggested to Paul, well, Paul, why, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Why don't you try a different way? Why don't you use something different? People are asking that question today. And there are churches in which very different things than what go on here at City View Baptist Church and that go on at Truly Baptist Church and our, our good sister churches 
there are churches which are trying very different things. They're trying drama. But people come out and act, do the acting. And they think, well, if we do a drama, maybe people will get it. Other people want to do dancing. You know, there are churches where there are people who are dancers who are supposed to be conveying the message of the gospel by dancing. And uh, then there's gospel rap and gospel folk and gospel rock. But Paul explains the real problem is not the media. It's not the way it's presented. The real problem about the world's treatment of the gospel is here in our text. And it really does make a difference that we worship the, the way we do because the way that we worship is consonant with both the gospel and the nature even of unconverted men. So, we'll begin this morning looking at our verse and asking this question, which I will answer from the text. Who does Paul speak about in verse 14? Who does Paul speak about? Well, that's the, that may be the easiest question I ask all day, right? He says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, etc. Who does Paul speak about? He speaks about the natural man. There's one sense in which all of us fit into that category. I fit into that category. You fit into that category. We were born of our parents the natural way that children are born. Paul is speaking about the natural man, but he doesn't mean you and I. The natural man is the person who is in the same state in which he has been born. Paul does not distinguish between different types of natural men and women, boys and girls, but he lumps them all together. When we go down the street, sometimes we go down the street and one of the brethren comes up to the door and gets in, we see them, but uh, on the street, there are all kinds of people and we intuitively make certain helpful distinctions. Oh, that's a man. And that's a woman, and it's getting more difficult at times to tell the difference as our world plummets and denies the way God has made men. But we say, okay, that's a man, that's a woman. There are the old, there are the young, there are the rich, there are the poor. There are the weak and the strong, the polite and the rude. I, uh, I enjoy going shopping with my wife. Because we get to meet very polite people, the rude people we've come to expect. There are so many people who have little common grace. But when my wife comes with her cane to the door of the store and someone who we don't know, doesn't know us, holds the door open and motions for her to go in. So we see people who are polite as well as people who are rude. Uh, people who are handsome and people who are homely, uh, people of different nationalities, people who are happy and people who are sad. And we see people and we make these kinds of thoughts about them, their external appearance. And now this 
way of describing men by the Apostle Paul, the natural man looks at man as a sharer of physical life. This was in Paul's day one of the nicest ways of speaking about people, the natural man. But in biblical vocabulary, it was not a flattering term. In our passage, he contrasts the natural man with the spiritual man, with the Christian. And so the natural man means the non-Christian. This itself means the sinner. So the natural man, even though the word natural doesn't mean sinner, that's really what Paul is about. He's about speaking about the person who has never been changed by the Spirit of God. It's the John 3 concept. Nicodemus doesn't understand why there's so much animosity by the Jews among G, uh, of Jesus' day. He tells them that the problem is you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, even to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And the natural man is in exactly the state he was when he was born. He may be older, taller, stronger, whatever. But he is just the way he was, born a sinner in the natural state. But this word carries with it the basic attitudes and behavior of people. It's used by James. James chapter 3 talks about the natural man. Uh, Jude talks about the natural man in Jude 19. I'm not going to turn there, but I'll, I will I will make this point. He says, devoid of the Spirit. That's the person who has not been given the Holy Spirit to change his life as we studied in our opening session. And those passages, James 3 and Jude 19, have a very negative flavor to them. But we must not think only of the openly irreligious, the scandalous. Now, when you, again, Flatbush Avenue is uh, a place where wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts up her voice in the square because there are lessons all around us when we walk down Flatbush Avenue. And what we learn as it's not the openly immoral, it's not the person who's peddling drugs on Flatbush Avenue that Paul means only. He also means the moral and religious person who is natural still. Moral, religious, with a religious upbringing, some knowledge of the Bible, may be the natural man as well. Unconverted people of every sort who have not been changed by God's grace, who do, do not have and have not exercised repentance from their sins. They are not those who are daily crying out to God, forgive us our transgressions, forgive us our iniquities, as we forgive those who sin against us. They have not exercised repentance. They have not exercised saving faith. They have no more than their creator gave them at birth. That's whom Paul has in mind when he writes about the natural man. The natural man. And his major statement, that's the second question, what is Paul's major assertion? What's Paul saying about the natural man? Very simple. 
The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Such people do not receive, do not embrace any of those things which the Spirit of God reveals to his people. There is much that the natural man may receive. So you may be mistaken about certain people. I, I've worked at a place, I've worked at a business in uh, uh, middle of New Jersey. There was a man who came to work in my, in my company and I remember talking to him and he was extremely polite. It was very uncommon for me to meet a co-worker who didn't curse, who didn't swear, who didn't use filthy language, but this man had a mouth that was 99 and 9 tenths percent pure, like ivory soap. He, he, did, he didn't say anything offensive. He never crossed the line with crude speech. And so I thought to myself, surely here I have a Christian. And I asked him if he were a Christian. And he smiled at me and kind of laughed and he said, no, not at all. He had no no sense of how awful a reality it is to be unsaved. But he was very polite. And here's my point. The natural man may receive much that is good. He has many features that you would say, well, that's praiseworthy. He may say, there is a God. Well, everyone knows that there is a God. But some, as the man in Psalm 10 says there is no God, or that God doesn't really matter, God is not relevant to my life. They may understand that there is such a thing as judgment. This lady I worked with at the end of my career at the banking, who, uh, who believed in judgment. Like there was judgment, but she wasn't Christian, she wasn't saved at all, but she believed in judgment. But people, of the natural sort, may believe in sin. You know, the interesting thing about the natural man and sin is he's always selective about sin. He picks and chooses. You might, uh, you might talk to him about the Ten Commandments. He's kind of like a man who wrote a poem about his dog. And he put words in his dog's mouth. And the words were, if killing birds is such a crime, which I can hardly see, you see, to the dog, killing birds is no big deal. It's just one of those things dogs do. Everybody does it. And that's what the way the natural man thinks about many sins. This is the way we kick it. This is the way we've been brought up. These are the things that we do. They say uh, about lying. In the professional world, lying is rampant. It's how you get business done. And what did they say about it? Oh yeah, I lied. I was shocked the first time. I heard a supervisor in one of the jobs that I had, he said, well, I just lied to the customer. I just lied. That's the way we do it. He said, everybody does it. You expect it, they, they, the customers expect you to lie to them. And then, then there's uh, the whole matter of uh, pride. When you talk about virtue to the natural man, pride is, pride, is a, pride is a virtue. That's what the natural man says today. 
You have to be proud. You have to be strong. You have to put yourself forward, put yourself out there, tell everybody how great you are. The natural man may believe in eternity, heaven, and hell. Well, what does the natural man think about hell? He says, well, really bad people are going to hell. Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot are going to hell. But, you know, I don't deserve to go to hell. This is, this is a very interesting question that you may put to the natural man and see where he comes down. He would tell you a lot. Do you deserve to go to hell? Well, I'll tell you straight up, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. All of my good works, everything good that I do does not earn heaven. None of it. My preaching won't save me. My teaching won't save me. My intellect won't save me. My upbringing won't save me. I deserve to go to hell. And if, if the only reason I'm not burning in hell now is because of the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me ask you, can you say that? Can you say that without choking? I remember one pastor, he was, he's, uh, he was right, speaking about one of those songs that we sing, you know, that I'm as, uh, as vile as the, the dying thief. And he said, some people can't sing that line without choking. Because they don't think they deserve to go to hell as much as the dying thief. There have I as vile as he washed all my sins away. As vile as he? Yes, as vile as he. And what the natural man does not receive, he does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He does not receive them. He doesn't receive the gospel plainly preached. He doesn't receive the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. How many people read the Apostle Paul and say, ha, another generation, another era, we're, 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 we're smarter. We have people who are writing books that way. We know more now than the Apostle Paul knew. No, no, you don't. If that's what you think, you don't. Whatever comes to, from the Spirit of God to believers through his appointed messengers, the natural man does not receive. Notice our text, verse 14. The nat a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He doesn't accept them. He doesn't receive them. And in the language of the Bible, to receive something means to wholeheartedly embrace it. So if you're asking the question, am I a natural man or am I a regenerate man? The, the question has to do with how you respond to the word of God. To receive something in the language of the Bible, in the language of the Holy Spirit, 
is to wholeheartedly embrace it. It is, it is now again, people would say, well, I don't reject the word of God. I don't oppose the word of God. I don't regard it that way. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's okay, I'll hear it. I'll read it. But that's, you see, that's not what Paul means when he says they don't receive it. To receive something is to wholeheartedly embrace it. That's what the natural man doesn't do. Look over, please, at Luke chapter 10. I'll give you, I'll give you something to uh, uh, hang this uh, concept on. So you see it, not just from 1 Corinthians 2.14, but you see it from the lips of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 10. He's sending out his 70 disciples by twos. And he's telling them what they may expect. He tells them, I'll start in verse 5. He tells them, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. So there's a blessing. It's a real blessing. It confers something. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal those who are, in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever, whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, in other words, they do not wholeheartedly welcome you, embrace you, care for you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. But be sure of this. And now he says to the, the person who does not receive, the same thing he says to the person who receives, the kingdom of God has come near. But you see, it's very different for the person who does not wholeheartedly receive and embrace the word of God. The natural man doesn't do it. He may not up and spit in your face. He may not up and throw you outdoors, but he doesn't receive it, you see. Because receive is a very different thing than merely politely and say, no, thank you. You see, for Jesus, the city that doesn't receive is not being is not politely refusing, he's rejecting an unbelief. And people may convince themselves that they have a kind of neutrality toward the things of God. And here's the difference. Here's the difference because Paul says, why don't they receive it wholeheartedly and embrace it? Because it is foolishness to him. The things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to him. It's not neutrality. To say, I don't Understand it? It's foolishness. You see, you need to understand the true attitude which marks the natural man. Let me turn you to Romans chapter 8. Because Paul 
expands for us what we are to understand by this kind of language. A natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. And, and again, you might say, and I agree with you, if you say this, I don't expect someone to receive something that they think is foolish. It would be foolish to accept something you think is foolish, right? But in Romans chapter 8, notice what Paul says, starting in verse 5. He says, those who are according to the flesh, that's the natural man, all they've got is all that God ever gave them from birth. The natural man is being spoken of. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is telling us why the natural man thinks the things of the Spirit of God are foolishness. He's telling us, he's giving us more detail. The contrast, he makes a contrast between those who are spiritual and those who are natural. And he begins this contrast at the end of verse 4 here uh, with, the, with two different walks of life. Two different walks of life. We who are spiritual, we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There are two different walks of life, says Paul. These two walks of life originate two different mindsets. The way you live actually reveals and directs your mindset. And that's in verse 5. Those who are according to the flesh who walk according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The natural man sets his mind on the things of the flesh. And what does that mean? It means the things that nature craves. That's the most important thing to them. What I want, what I like, what I will pursue. The natural man says, Okay, it's natural. I get hungry, I want to eat, and that's true of us as well. But that's where, that's where the, the Christian does not set his mind entirely and only upon natural things. He sets his mind on the, on the kingdom of God. And so when it's a choice between pursuing God and pursuing food, the natural man, that's what he, he's going for. And the Christian man, in dedication to God, may forbear. The natural man sets his mind on the things that their, his appetites provoke. Right? They set their mind on the things of the flesh. Sex, for example. That's what he sets his mind on. That's what he wants. That's his appetite. Well, his natural appetites, fame, popularity, the list goes on and on. The spiritual set their minds on the things of the spirit. So what are those things? 
These are things that the natural man does not receive wholeheartedly. It's the things of God, the word of God, the service of God, the glory of God, the law and will of God. Remember, this is what God writes upon the hearts of his believing people whom he saves. They're the spiritual ones. Including the law of God. And if we are perceptive about ourselves, we will know sometimes that the spirit of God provokes the law of God and there are responses in our souls which we don't like, which are not right. But still, the believer, the spiritual man, pursues the things of the Spirit of God. Next, Paul tells us, he assures us of the outcome of these two walks of life. There are two walks of life, according to the flesh and according to the Spirit. There are two mindsets. The mind of the natural man sets his mind on the flesh and the uh, mind of the spiritual man sets his mind on the things of the Spirit of God. And the outcome of this the, is, is, is twofold in verse 6. He says the mindset of the flesh is death. The mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. One of them is very undesirable to the natural man, to, to us as well. And the other is not received by the, by the man of the Spirit of God. And you may tell the natural man all about heaven. Some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress. It's a very interesting little section. Uh, because this one man goes with Pilgrim, with Christian, uh, up toward the wicked gate, and he, Christian is telling him all about heaven, and he says, that these things ravish my soul, but then he gets caught in the slough of despond, which is him wrestling with his sins, trying to uh, put away his sins, but he finds himself dragged down in the muck. And he tells the Christian, he says, if this is... If this is what we may expect, you may have the brave country for yourself. Not, not important to me to get there to heaven. If I have to go through this kind of conviction, if I have to go through this fighting and wrestling with my sins, I don't want it. That's death. Paul tells us that life, the life lived with the natural man actually ends in death. He tells us about the outcome, verses 7 and 8. The mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's, that's the natural man. He cannot accept them. He cannot receive them. He cannot live by them. He can't even do it. You have an easier time getting cream spinach into a baby's mouth 
than getting the word of God into the natural man. Most of these people, the natural man, they don't perceive the things God reveals through his inspired servants, the apostles. So now, the third thing, we have asked the question, who does who is Paul speaking about? He's speaking about the natural man. And we ask ourselves, what is Paul's major assertion? His major statement is that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. Well, that's the third thing. The third question is, how does Paul account for this reality? How, how does he account for the reality that the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God? Well, first of all, because of the natural man's basic attitude toward them, he says they are foolishness. Now, much that the natural man may hear does not bother him and he does not violently reject it because it is consistent with common grace or with his own notions and goals. The natural man has certain goals that he wants to accomplish and to him, that's fine. You tell him something that's in line with his natural desires and that's fine. But get to the heart of the gospel Get to the heart of God's commandments, and this is foolishness. What, what do I mean? Well, what do you tell the natural man? You tell the natural man what we confessed a few minutes ago. That we are not able to earn our salvation. That all of our good works are like filthy rags in the sight of God, and they are insufficient to obtain right standing with God. The natural man, he, uh, he has the, uh, the, the scales, the scares, scales theology. Well, I do some bad things, but I do a lot more good things. And all these good things that I do over here, they outweigh my bad things. So it's okay that I sin in these ways as long as I do enough good to outweigh my bad things. That's the natural man theology. That's foolishness in reality. The man should not be able to earn his salvation. It seems unaccountable to the natural man. That God should be the actual practical goal of man's existence. That man should live his entire life with the aim of serving and glorifying God. It's too much. There are too many other things that are more important than serving God. But really, there's nothing more important than serving God. That faith should be more important and deep, works as nothing. Faith is everything. That one should be forgiven on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. First, obedience doesn't earn salvation, and then you tell the person, well, yeah, obedience doesn't earn you your salvation, but you have to obey God once you are saved. You need to obey God. It's essential to obey God. Well, that doesn't make sense to the natural man, does it? 
It's full. My, my good works don't save me, but I still need to do good works. You see why the natural man says it's foolishness to him. Self-denial. Self-denial is foolishness to the natural man. Self-denial means here are my claims, my desires, my needs. And God calls me to deny myself and follow Christ. See, to the natural man, that's foolishness. I remember when I was converted, my oldest, and I my, told my, my family I wanted to go to a Bible college. I could get a free education at CCNY in Manhattan. I'm going to go to Bible college and put myself in debt. My sister said, he's throwing his life away. That's the natural man's attitude. Self-denial. Well, this is how Paul accounts for this reality, first of all, because of the natural man's basic attitude toward them. It's foolishness, he says. Secondly, because of his native inability to come to a right understanding of them. The natural man is unable to understand the things of the Spirit of God. There's no real knowledge or understanding. You may think he understands but he does not. Think about this. Think about this situation. Here's a man. He's the natural man. He is intelligent. The person who speaks to him is an able communicator. So, the words register. The meaning is grasped. Sometimes my wife gives me directions maybe to get to a particular store, she might say something that I don't understand. I, and she'll say, do you understand? I say, well, I hear the words. I know what each of the words means. I still don't know how to get there, you see. That's the, that, in one sense, is the natural man. He can hear the words. He can define each of the words. He's intelligent. But the true knowledge does not result. Paul says it cannot result. It doesn't mean that the natural man doesn't think he understands. He may very well believe that he is understanding. And this is why he calls it foolishness. He thinks he has an accurate understanding of what is what the what's, why's, and how's of such matters, but he does not. And that's Paul's second statement. This is the second cause. Because he thinks he understands, but even when he does, he doesn't. And the third reason is because of the only way in which they can be understood, which Paul tells us in our verse. I have to get myself back here. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned, spiritually evaluated. That's why, that's a third reason why it's this way. Because the things that come from the Word of God, the spiritual truths, can only be understood by what Paul calls a spiritual examination. That's the kind of language he uses, spiritual, it, this word discernment. 
It's the process whereby a thing is examined to determine what it is. It's a court term. So here's a piece of evidence and uh, the defense attorney puts it forward. Please see exhibit C. Well, what happens with exhibit C is that both sides examine it. They turn it over. They're trying to understand what it is, how it, uh, how it contributes to the case of the prosecuting attorney. So the facts are sought. They are sought to be understood. A proper interpretation is sought. The facts are then compared with a standard so that judgment may be made. The natural man considers spiritual realities for the wrong reasons and in the wrong ways. And sometimes there is a there is some appeal to them. What I mean is the natural man listens to what the Bible teaches and says, oh yeah, I get it. I get it. It's like the seed sown in rocky soil that immediately springs up. Jesus says, this is the one who receives the word with joy. Seems good. But then in time of temptation, falls away. And oftentimes, natural men, to use the language of Jude, creep in unnoticed because they seem to really like the gospel and they see something about it that they can get out of it. They may think, well, with this gospel, I will appear great. I will be able to exercise authority. I'll find satisfaction. I'll make money. That's why you have a man that uh, John writes to in uh, one of those letters. I think it's a third John Diotrephes who loves to be first among them. You see, he finds something valuable to himself. And then there are the people that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 5 who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. You know what? If I say I'm a Christian and I get in with Christians, then I can sell the Christians. And I'll be able to make a lot of money. That's not a reason to become a Christian, certainly. And then there are those who seduce and destroy the godly by their lifestyle. Well, spiritual discernment, he says, they cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And while I say the unconverted person may see reasons to become a Christian in name, though not in reality, they still don't understand because spiritual discernment is necessary for a right understanding of the things of God. And what does that mean? It means prayerful dependence. It means when you're presented with the word of God, you do what we do here on a regular basis. You say, Lord, teach us. I, I appreciate it. I've heard it in a number of prayers in recent weeks. Lord, help us to understand what's being said to us. That's an excellent prayer. Because we're asking for the help of the Spirit of God. So there's prayerful dependence. There are spiritual appetites and goals which are necessary. You need to want 
to love and do the will of God, which is a work of the Spirit of God in our hearts. And there's a proper way to receive that involves humility, to receive the word of God simply with an a determination to obedience. There has to be a fundamental attitude of submission. These things are lacking in the natural man. He doesn't have them. As Paul says in Romans 8, 7, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. And think about the way that our Lord describes them. You want to get a window, as they say, into the reason why the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Please turn to John chapter 3. I think this is a very important text, very valuable text to understand the mindset of the people whom Paul is writing about. And Jesus speaks about it as well. John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. This is a very interesting passage in John 3 because it seems that Jesus begins a long response to Nicodemus and this is included in it. He says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Now, why do men love darkness rather than light? Um, sometimes in my bedroom, if I'm going to get up, I don't turn on the lights because I'm a little bit sleepy and I'm thinking to myself, I can go and get to the bathroom and get back in bed without waking up too much. And so I like the darkness for that reason because I don't want to wake up. But the problem with uh, being in the dark is that you stub your toes on things you didn't remember that you put there, right? But that's not why. That, that doesn't enter into this. Jesus says, light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's one of the reasons why the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because the light of the truth is going to expose sin and the natural man doesn't want to deal with sin. He doesn't want to repent of sin. He loves his sins. So why would I turn on the light to see my sins more clearly? That's the problem. Hence, he cannot give the things the Spirit of God, of the Spirit of God, a fair hearing. Well, we have asked and answered three questions this morning about <clears throat> Romans chapter 2 and verse 14. Who is Paul speaking about? He's speaking about the natural man, the unconverted man. His major assertion, he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. And how does Paul account for it? He accounts for it in the fact that it, they are spiritually discerned. He doesn't have the faculties. He has other other principles which contradict the word of God and hide the word of God from his mind. 
So, one more question. What does this mean to you and me? What does this mean to us? How do we apply this to ourselves, our lives, our ministry? Well, Paul informs us how our message will be treated by the natural man. You see that? What we've seen this morning is how our message will be treated by the natural man. Paul says they're not going to receive them. The natural man doesn't receive them. It's not that they're not true. It's not that they're not clear. It's not that the vocabulary is too highfalutin. There's an incompatibility between the natural man and the things of the Spirit of God. So we know in advance how our gospel is going to be treated in this world. So here's my application. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. I must confess that sometimes I'm surprised. Sometimes I'm surprised. And the thing that surprises me most is that there are people I think are Christians. People I think, well, surely this is a brother. Surely this is a sister. And all of a sudden, I find them rejecting the things of the Spirit of God. I said, but, but, but I thought they were Christians. I thought they loved the Lord. I thought they loved the word of God and the will of God. And they're rejecting them. Turning their backs on them. Choosing the world. And I'm shocked. Grieved. Well, don't be surprised by that. <laughs> what we have to do is we have to make room in our thinking for people who appear to be Christians, but are not. And when it comes to your mind, well, this is the explanation. You don't come to that quickly. You shouldn't come to that judgment quickly. Prayerfully, carefully, with time. So what do you do? You pray so much of our Christian life depends upon our access to God which is what makes the new covenant so precious because we have access to God we can pray and God really hears us so don't be surprised when you see this don't uh, don't be prayerless pray pray for wisdom the first time you begin to think, I wonder if this person's a Christian, but what you ought to be doing is simply praying, say, Lord, I don't want to be mistaken. The stakes are too high, so Lord, give me wisdom. Show me plainly. And do not cast your pearls before swine. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Matthew 7, 6 applies to this situation. When you realize that someone is unconverted, then you need more wisdom than ever to ask yourself, how do I deal with this person? Well, the principles may be, don't cast your pearls before swine. Do not give what is holy to dogs. 
it will result in attack. That's what Jesus says. Lest they turn and attack you. So don't be surprised when you try to go to a brother or sister and point out their sins and they attack. Don't be impressed when men say that they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the scriptures. Immature believers are often unduly impressed when someone says to them, well, I don't, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. I had one of the brethren talk to me here at the door about someone who asked them a question. And uh, the more I think about it, the more I say to myself, well, the problem is you're too much impressed with what the person who is an unbeliever is saying. They often make statements without any support because it's, that's what I think. But really, brethren, that's not what we base our opinions and decisions on, isn't it? Is it? It's what God says in his word, the welcome light of the word of God. So don't be surprised. Pray. Be as plain as you can. Don't cast your pearls before swine. This text ought to help us greatly in our interaction with unconverted people, and especially unconverted people who are trying to impress you that they are Christians. Okay. This text, that's what this text means. It also means that men cannot come to Christ by mere persuasion. By mere persuasion. Uh, it is folly to think that converts can be made with good logical arguments. I used to think this way. It's all my job. I used to sit down with unconverted people at lunch when we're filing papers and talk to them about the gospel and bring them apologetic type arguments. Now, apologetic arguments are valuable. But remember this. It's not that your argument is logically well-structured and makes perfect logical sense. The problem is not logic. The problem is the state of the soul. They, they will not believe just because you play a few word tricks. They need a change within. Someone has said they're like deaf men judging music. You take a deaf man to Carnegie Hall where uh, one of these great Violent virtuosos is playing. Like they say, I don't think that was a very good concert. They're deaf. What do they know? They have no ability to judge. There is an incompatibility between them and what they seek to judge, and they cannot use the right method. This is one of the reasons, brethren, why. Partial religions are so appealing. What do I mean by partial religions? There are people who cut the hard parts of the gospel out, like self-denial, like justification by faith. And so they make the gospel appealing by leaving out what is central to the gospel. And so people say, this is a great ministry, I've benefited much from it. Someone has freed them from things they don't understand and don't like. Such religions do not partake of God's grace. 
True religion with God's wisdom is in Christ, and God gives his spirit to men who look to him through Jesus Christ. And so, today, I asked you at the beginning, who you know, what, what, are you a natural man? Is that you? It's a very important question to be asking yourself. If you're a Christian, you also ought to ask yourself, is there in my thinking a natural man element? Be on guard against these things in yourself. I remember reading a, a good Puritan who said remaining sin is essentially the same as reigning sin. We're born with sin, and we have reigning sin, sin that rules us and drives us. After we're converted, we're no longer under the dominion of sin, but we have remaining sin. And the remaining sin is just as much sin, and has the same principle of hiding your face from God, hiding your face from his word, resisting him. So, the believer needs to be careful to be on guard against the same things. We may fall into the same sinful attitudes which once held us, and we need the same kind of help we used to need for regeneration. We need God's Spirit to come and minister to our souls and rid us of the remnants of remaining sin. And so we cry to God through Jesus Christ search me O God try my thoughts and know my ways see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting let's pray Amen. our Father we thank you for your holy word that searching word that looks deep into our souls and causes us to give an account for who and what we are. And we do pray that you would not allow any iniquity to reign over us, keep us from presumptuous sins, and help us to be wise in dealing with souls. Help us to understand the responses that we get from the unconverted because they cannot spiritually perceive the things of your spirit. And we pray that you would work in the hearts of any who are unconverted here, that they might see in the mirror of the word their face and cry out to you for mercy and deliverance. And do deliver them and save them by Jesus Christ our Lord. Please hear us for his glory. Amen.